to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is buried in work and, frankly, cannot countenance our buffoonery. This is round seven, turn seven, and I've got the game designer with me. Hey, Trey. Hello, Tom. How you doing, sir? I'm ready. Let's and, do this. And Trey has brought his little buddy with him. We don't only have the game designer. Little buddy. <laughs> we don't only have the game designer, the one who creates games. We also have the game breaker, the man who destroys games. Who will win? Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, guys. I'm feeling microaggressed. Good, good. That's that's uh, that's <laughs> that the intent. Microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk this week about the 2013 release Russian Railroads by Helmut Olney and Lonnie Orgler. Only an Orgler. That is, that is quite the law firm. Uh, and we're also going to be looking at racing, racing games, racing as part of games, racing as a mechanic, and be delving into that. We got a lot on the plate this week, so why don't we jump right into this week's game night. Game night for me was a relatively simple affair. I have, I have uh, a lot of work on my plate right now, so I only had time for Russian Railroads, Tichu, Cartagena, and a couple other filler games, and that's that's all I played this week. I don't think that's the same for my co-hosts today. What, what have you guys been playing? Paul? Uh, I mean, the only thing of note that I played, aside from Russian Railroads, was uh, Love Letters on Board Game Arena with a bunch of strangers. Which I found incredibly fun, and I'll talk about on Games on the Brain. Interesting. You're getting serious about love letters. Yeah. Well, he wants to go to the World Born Board Gaming uh, Championship, and uh, <laughs> love letters is the love, headline event. Love letters champion. Look, look at it. Feels like you're shaming me. Your your love letters shaming me. I can't believe it. Oh my god. Oh, Paul, we're shaming we're you for so many other shaming. reasons than that. That's. <laughs> if we could keep you out of the group, Paul. No. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of Russian railroads this week. I mean, part of it is because it's the review, but I think we started playing it, and um, you know, a lot of people in the group, have, especially Alfred. Alfred loves Russian railroads, so there's been um, a lot of that played. We got in a game of Keyflower. That's, nice. that's a game that's for me um, has gotten better and better the more I've understood it. Do you mean solved? <laughs> I saw your. No. I saw your post. <laughs> No, I don't. Not not solved at all. Trey posted. Um, in fact, I think if, if we uh, if we thought that the game was kind of broken with a single strategy before, it wasn't the one that I did. It was more uh, Paul's meeple strategy or whatever. So the you know, oh, it yeah. is another one of these games where like you, you, we think we have it cracked when we first play it, and it's like no, you don't have it cracked. There's multiple ways to win in that game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But you did you did have quite the brag post on on Facebook with uh, <laughs> with a obscene obscene final board so that was that was sweet well it was kind of victory by degenerate strategy yes <laughs> which is the only way to win <laughs> <laughs> well it is you know the, there are some games that that encourage balance in the end and then there are some games that find something you can exploit and wail on it as hard as you possibly can and and keyflower definitely encourages the latter and it's uh, and it's up to one person paul to stop that person from achieving victory even at the cost of their own victory. But that would require somebody that's not selfish. Yeah, like, and, and it, 
basically, Keyflower <laughs> this week was a dive into uh, hum- the humanity of uh, us as a, a species, and we discover that we are all selfish and we're going to die. <laughs> and yet, my experience in Russian railroads was the opposite. So here's the deal. With Russian railroads, these guys have been playing it, it felt like, 20 times in the last two weeks. It, it felt like that. It felt like you guys had that game so dialed in. And I haven't played Russian railroads probably in three or four years. And right. And... So I suddenly found myself getting all kinds of help. Everyone was like, hey, Tom, you know what you should do? You should do this. Hey, Tom, you know what's a really good move for you? This. And I was feeling like that new guy who was at game night for the first time ever. And I was so conflicted because I had dueling feelings of why is everybody treating me like I'm, uh, like I'm an idiot? But also, gosh, it's really nice to have people helping you. <laughs> And I know, I know. You didn't think that. No, I did. I really did because because when Paul was helping me, he was legitimately helping me. It was to stop you, but he was still, yeah. but he was still helping me, and vice versa. And you did the same thing. And the the end result of it was, um, I you know, I didn't come in last. I guess there's that. I mean, it's not it's not nothing. I'll take it. <laughs> Oh man! Any other Tom any other Donnelly, games? It, it is not nothing. It is not it. nothing. <laughs> given the given the disparity of uh, of expertise in that game that I walked into, it was boy, was it walking into a buzzsaw. You guys were you guys were crushing it's it. It's a game that rewards reps, but we'll we'll cover that in the review for sure. Totally, totally. Any other games you wanted to talk about, Trey? Uh, no, that's it. Cool. I mean, we played a lot of Keyflower. I mean, a lot of Russian railroads this week. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Did you play any uh, uh, German railroads or American railroads by any chance? Nope. Got it. Okay. We will talk about that later. Not yet. Let us jump into the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nobles, South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Game news. Uh, first up in game news, a fun little, a fun little bit. There is a new board game reviewer, board game family that is uh, that is joining the hobby and they are called our family plays games you can find them at our family plays games on twitter you can find our family plays games on facebook um they YouTube. were yep youtube exactly they were uh, featured on good morning america they are a uh, a a black family they focus on uh you know lighter more family f- fair games than uh, than what we cover but uh yeah, Trey. Did did uh, how many have, have you seen much of their uh, their YouTube? Yeah, I've watched a couple of episodes, and they seem great for for you know families and people that are just getting into the hobby and just wanted to kind of amplify uh, them. Getting they're probably already bigger than us immediately because they were on Good Morning America. Oh, they yeah. were there with with some football player from I don't know some kind of awful football team that he used to play for. Uh, uh, oh, 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 are you talking about the two-time champion, Michael, Michael Strahan? Michael Strahan of the New York Giants? It's weird. That's, the New York yeah. Giants have uh, have actually have a, a Super Bowl ring from each of the last four decades. Isn't that fascinating? It's weird. Ah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, it's, 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 uh, given the, uh, the, the, the last episode that we did, it is great to see uh, uh, more and better representation uh, entering our hobby every day. And these guys seem like real, these guys seem like really awesome people. And, uh, they and, knew their stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, 
they've played tons of games. They have that kind of library of stuff they can call upon. Uh, they're moving in on us in terms of like game sommelier and making recommendations. No, no. Although they did, they did recommend Catan. So let's not get too excited. In slightly less happy news, um, former employees have accused Cards Against Humanity of a racist and sexist office culture. Uh, in particular, they are calling out the co-founder, Max Temkin, who not only designed Cards Against Humanity, but was one of the designers of Secret Hitler. And uh, there is an article on Polygon. There's an article on Vox. Um, the article on Polygon is uh, it's quite a long read, actually. It really uh, delves into the issue, um, and it was it was very it was sad. It was uh, sadly a, not a tale that I've heard for the first time. Not about him him in particular, but you know, people that you know foster a, a horrible workplace culture. Uh, they tend to follow the same tropes. They tend to go down the same alleys. And uh, so if that's something that's interesting to you, I would seriously check that out. Me personally, uh, I, I I don't own uh, Secret Hitler. I do own Cards Against Humanity, but I can't remember the last time I ever brought that thing out. And uh, I don't think I'm uh, liable to play those again. Guys, anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, this is my shocked voice that Cards Against Humanity had a hostile yeah. workplace and i'm 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 kind of i'm not reluctant to pile on here um but maybe just because like i've always hated this game mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um and it's been like it's hard it was hard to articulate exactly why i've always hated it it was kind of like part of it is like it's a comedy game for unfunny people but like when you were playing the game you also like the the way that it worked mm-hmm. with its kind of like edgy humor, you know, when you actually got to like, well, what's funny about a lot of this is it's kind of like, well, we kind of like the humor was all based on like, as the Vox article put it, you know, we all know it's wrong, but we just can't help but indulge our racism just a little bit for a laugh. Like that was kind of the mm. appeal of the of the game a lot of times. And I think that this is also kind of exposed that like the humor of the game you know, appeared to be for white people by white people, and that's part of the the problem here with this game. And so, it's not at all shocking that that's part of the culture of of the company there. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's one of those games that a lot of times we would we would see cards when we when we tried to play it, and we'd be like, "Wow, that's that's really punching down." You know what I mean? And, and it did and, feel that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like the thing is, is like Cards of Humanity bugged me because it is a game that um, is a gateway game for the hobby a lot of times. Like it is often one of the first games that people play like Catan. Yeah. And I always felt like this is a terrible ambassador for the hobby. Like I I certainly have had like moments where like we've known people from film school, Tom. Mm. You're like, oh, we had and they called me and said, we have a game night too. You should come. And I was like, great. It'd be great to see everybody again. And you walk in the door and like they want to play Cards Against Humanity and you want to leave. Yeah. You know, like and part of that's that I'm a game snob, but part of it's also like I don't, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. Like often you find yourself laughing in that game. And you're like, hey, I'm not sure I should be laughing in this game. This, what was funny about that? Yeah. If we actually broke down the humor what was funny about that? And you you end up kind of feeling gross 
at the end of it, or at least I did. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not every card. It's not every card combination. Some of them are, right. are legitimately funny, and and you know, a game that is humor for unfunny people is probably the only game that'll sell because you know everybody thinks they're funny, but but few enough people are that a game that only works for funny people isn't going to sell very well. So, it, it is a kind of a, a catch twenty two to some degree, but. Nonetheless, uh, let, let's let's for a second just separate this and say people have designed games that have nothing objectionable in them and have had horrible workplace uh, uh, problems right. with their with their staff. So one does not uh, necessarily equal the other. And, and uh, you know, there have been a lot of authors uh, um, recently, fantasy authors, sci-fi authors, that have been uh, um, called to the carpet for horrific, horrific behavior. And, um, you know, uh, reading their novels, you would never have any idea that that that, that was going on. So uh, well, yeah, I, have a, make... I have a question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, it's just one of those things that I... I kind of dissociate the game and the uh, the workplace environment. Like, for example, like, I mean, Cards Against Humanity's uh, big sell is that it's transgressive, right? Like, you know, it, it, yes, it's punching down to in, to some extent, but it's ultimately marketing. It's going to be okay to do stuff that's a little taboo, right? I mean, that, that's that's why people yeah. kind of like have fun doing it because like there's this stress of not of always having to, well, I, I, as a non-white person, I assume this, that you guys can tell me about it. <laughs> you know, do you feel that, like, you know, there is a pressure to have to censor yourself at times? You know, like, you know, like, there, there's, you know, there's the what I should be and what I, uh, what I am. Is, is there a differential there? And I, and I assume that the answer is yes. And I assume that this game here gives permission to explore that in theoretically a safe space. Now, I think that's not the best, right. but I think that's that's the you know that that's the actual that's why people play it, you know. And and at, at some like very microcosm level, uh, there might be actually some therapeutic aspect to that. But like when you expand that. You know, uh, it probably is not the best. Like, I look at, when I read the article, which is very long, it, it seemed like, you know, here's this dude at the microcosm level, you know, would have been, I wouldn't say harmless, but like, you know, would have been fine. But because he became, you know, like a CEO, like, you know, in charge of this big company, he felt like the same behavior at the like really interpersonal microcosm level could be expanded. And that, and, and, and that, like, you know, there's a huge power differential between you as a person who is just hanging out with your friends versus now people are uh, reliant upon you and reliant about being in your graces mm. in order to eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, the, I, I think, the, yeah, it, there's a huge danger when your brand is transgression that 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 is that is a massive, massive trap. That you could get sucked into, and and it will suddenly magnify the worst behavior that that human beings can have. I mean, I, I think of it this way: I think that if somebody says that they like Cards Against Humanity, I'm kind of like Trey. I'm like, eh, I, I would I would rather not not play that. But if you got to play that once, my red flag is the guy who is way too into Cards Against Humanity, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's yeah. that's where that's where I'm like okay 
Okay, let me just jot that down in my little mental Rolodex and keep that in mind because that, that sometimes that is the that is the place where things get very telling. Sometimes, so that's where I'm I'm from. So my my question was, um, but uh, Secret Hitler and Cards Against Humanity are not the same company. It's just that no. both were involved with Max Temkin. Like that's the commonality. Right? Correct. He was he was one of the designers on both games in uh, in Cards Against Humanity. He was kind of the main uh, card maker. He was the head honcho of the cards, which is the game really. So yep. you you could Correct. say that he's probably more more responsible for Cards Against Humanity than any than any of the other eight people that were involved. Probably. Um, I don't know about uh, I don't know about Secret Hitler. I don't know exactly how involved he was, but I believe that that there are uh, three people that are credited with that game, and he's one of those. So uh, you can you can do that math on your own. Yeah, everybody so has will... distanced themselves from Max Temkin at, at this point. So I think. Uh, right? Yeah. Yes. Like... Yes. Now, what does this say about Alfred, who loves Secret Hitler so much? Can we get into that? <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the best, but what I would say, yeah, he's good at it, but like what I would say is like, I, I really hope there are no skeletons in the creators uh, of uh, Avalon, uh, you know, closet, because I would hate for Matt to come on the, you know, on the podcast. Oh, that'd be the worst. Go, like, oh man, see, I never liked that game. And you know, the people who love that game, ah, oh, it just shows a failure in their <laughs> You know what Matt would be? Matt would be like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. You know. Oh man! All right, let's let's move on before we flame any more of our friends. Um, Trey, this is a special thing for you. It literally came up uh, this week. Uh, I, I discovered this, and it is it is right up your alley. Ravensburger is having Game Inventor Days, uh, July tenth and eleventh. Um, they're not going to be, you know, heading around to the usual toy fairs for game inventors to present their ideas to publishers. So instead, they're going to be doing a virtual idea, a virtual pitch session, I guess, uh, via video call. Um, they're, you know, now Ravensburger isn't exactly the the kind of games that uh, uh, you you design, Trey. But uh, don't you think that for people that are getting into the hobby, this is actually a really cool thing? It it, it sort of lowers a barrier to to at least pitch and even even pitching, even if it's not successful, it's always still pretty good practice. What do you think about this whole thing? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see if this becomes more the standard. You know, like, did COVID change things? I mean, COVID's going to change things for a lot of things about the gaming industry going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the sense I got looking at this was this is going to replace the kind of in-person meetings that happened at toy fairs. Yeah. And so, like, I imagine there was already a decent amount of layers and screening that went into, like, you know, who gets a meeting at a toy fair with, with Ravensburger. Yeah. Um, so I don't think this is going to be, like, an open call for game submissions you like you have to apply mm-hmm. and you know they're going to schedule a time so still gatekeeping um, then yeah but i'm 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 sympathetic to that sure but, you sure. know i think if listen th- th- that's a whole big subject of like when you're ready to take your game to a publisher how do you go about doing that and this i think is just an adjustment to you know like the industry continuing during covid but can't do what they would normally do right yeah, no, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying uh, you know gatekeeping in, in a bad way. I think for a publisher, mm-hmm. they they have to do that. So listen, we have all seen the same person at our local convention flogging the same game <laughs> that he has for for twenty years. Right. 
uh, 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 trying to get it off the ground. I, I, the moment I see that, every time I see that, I uh, completely understand how a company like Ravensburger should should vet the people that are going to be pitching because you know. Well, let me put it this way: like, what you don't want to do is like go to Gen Con. Go on the floor, mm. you know, wander up to Zev yeah. at Z-Man and say, I want to pitch you a game. Right. Like, that's not, that's that's not how it works. Not going to be appreciated, and they're there to sell product during the day. That said, if like there's plenty of publishers where you you know you write them months in advance and say, hey, I'd like to show you this game. You know, where are you going to be? When when can we meet up? And they will often tell you, we're going to have a you know a suite at Gen Con where our head of development is going to be, you know, scheduling some times. Why don't, you know, can you come by at Thursday at 8 a.m.? And, like, I've done that with uh, Jamie at at, uh, at uh, Stonemaier Games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I showed a card game to Indie Card Games before. Like, that's how they want to do it. And so, you know, listen to Ravensburger when they're telling you this is how you can access this. Yeah. I was your so. stooge at one of those presentations, if you remember. Oh. Yeah, Thank we, you for being my stooge. I was happy to be your stooge. I was, I was the guy, hmm, explain how this works. Oh, I think I'll do this. As we, yeah, you're, as we... you're super helpful, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was for Seth Jaffe, friend of the pod, Seth Jaffe. So I don't, I'm not sure that that yeah, was. Yeah, so that would have that would have been. Oh, wait, was it with Seth? With, um, oh, no, I don't think Tasty it was. Minstrel? I don't think no, it was. I think was it was Indie Cartoon Games. Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah, anyway. Uh, I, I, we've, I've definitely demoed it with Seth with you, uh, with Seth as well, but he already kind of knew the game anyway, so that was uh, not something particularly new. Uh, anyway, if you are out there and you are like Trey, if you are a, a uh, aspiring game designer or uh, like Trey, a actual game designer, uh, you should take a look at this, ravensburger.de. Uh, Investor Days is what you're looking, Inventor Days, I'm sorry, is what you should look at and uh, take a look at it. Maybe that is going to be the first step in your uh, in your journey to game design greatness. Uh, we got some great things that have uh, uh, that are shipping right now and arriving in people's uh, houses. Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is in stores right now. Imperial Struggle, uh, people are getting their sh- uh, I don't think they're getting shipping notices. I think they're they're just getting that wonderful surprise package at the door. Smartphone Inc. got my copy of uh, of that just the other day. So a lot of games we've been really looking forward to. They seem to all be coming in at once, which is pretty cool. Um, moving on, we've got to talk about a game called Role Player. Role Player was a game in 2016. We've mentioned it maybe two or three times uh, on this podcast before. It was it began as a fairly small box, little simple game. The idea was it was a dice placement, uh, dice drafting game in which you were trying to build a player character. So essentially, it took the character creation part of Dungeons and Dragons and turned that itself into a game. And it was a, a pretty decent puzzle for what it was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't super deep. It wasn't super amazing, but it was pretty good. The reason I'm bringing it up now is that they have continued to iterate on this. Um, Cartographers did a uh, did a spinoff of it in 2018. They did an expansion called Monsters and Minions, which added Monsters and Minions. And now in uh, 2020, our friend uh, Candace Harris is reporting that uh, they're introducing another expansion called Fiends and Familiars, which, yeah, it introduces Fiends and Familiars. Uh, If you understand how the the, the game works, these are just adding other little sideboards to your main board that you can also place dice on 
And when you complete those, you're unlocking special powers, special abilities. That's essentially what it is, which is pretty cool. Um, but they also have a role-player adventures uh, game that is coming out this year, which seems this one is a bit more, uh, th- this is less of an expansion and more of a new direction for it. Basically, it turns the role-player system into a role, into an actual kind of cooperative storybook game. One to four players in the world of role player, and you're playing out adventures, which, you know, for a game that started off as one thing, as just the character creation process as a game, I thought that was really, really good. Then when they started expanding it and the character creation starts to deal with monsters and deal with other sorts of things, I thought that was okay, that was interesting. Um, I wonder if the if the design is going to suit itself when it goes this far, when it when it really sort of takes takes the very simple concept and essentially kind of seems like it becomes almost like D anD D itself. Well, so we'll see. Anyway, that's uh, and you guys ever play Mage Knight? Oh yeah, yeah, Vlada Chavadal. Like, yeah, like, I, I feel well, maybe that maybe this uh, when I when I see this game, like normally a game like this, like pre COVID, is a game where Matt would. Uh, like one day, give a call on a Sunday or something. Hey, I got a new game. You want to try it out? And <laughs> I, I'm actually really looking forward to playing all of this. Like I have, I have yet to, but it just seems like you know this would be something in that pocket. Maybe, uh, yeah. You would sounds- be the one to get that call, right? Because this is a dice. <laughs> this is the dice game. I'm not getting that call. No, it's it's going to be Paul and Jake are going to be called up and they're going to come over and they're going to try this thing out. That's, are there neoprene mats to go with all the multicolored dice? I don't know. I, I know that in the original uh, uh, role player, it, it's a fairly simple game. I quite liked it actually. I didn't, I, okay. I didn't, it didn't like it enough. It wasn't meaty enough for me to, to, to click buy and to, and to pick it up, but I actually really did enjoy my one play of it. So, um, moving, uh, moving on, uh, back to the future, is uh, has another game out. This is not a Prospero Hall design. This is a design by Ken Franklin, Chris Later, and Kevin Rogers, put out by Ravensburger, and it's called Back to the Future: Dice Through Time. And I'm uh, going to surprise you here, Tom. Oh, I me. own this game. What? Wait. So, wait, I bought you, it by this, mistake. This is the one you bought instead of the Ravensburger one? <laughs> instead of the... I ordered it through Target thinking I was getting the Prospero Hall game. And instead I got the Ravensburger game. Because the Prospero Hall game isn't out yet, I don't think. No, it's. It, I didn't think it was, which is why I was surprised when you told me that you'd got that. Yeah, Trey Trey went... Well, you know what? In Games on the Brain, tell, tell us about your, your, uh, your Prospero Hall. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so you got this one. Did you look at it yet? Uh, I looked on it and, and saw that it was the dice game, and then I clicked return on the <laughs> Target website. Well, I've got to say, it's not, it doesn't look that bad. It's kind of interesting. It's a, you know, it's, it's a cooperative game. Um, there are different time streams, so there are different you know, years, and you have to, you're, you're trying to get the right objects to, into the right time frames and, and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, there are events in these times and they're kind of building up. And the, 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 the cool thing to the game is that you have, these, uh, you have these dice that you can use, but you can also leave dice in time. It's basically essentially one of those things like, uh, you remember in Bill and Ted's adventure at the end, they say, uh, you know, they say, oh, let's remember to leave a key here or let's remember to do this and we'll go back in time and change that and, you know, all of that time trickery stuff. 
is actually uh, played out in the game by leaving dice. You're essentially leaving things for other people and manipulating time in that way. It's, it doesn't sound terrible. It actually sounds kind of interesting, you know, for for a cooperative game. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a future Back to the Future head-to-head game review of these because oh, I think like both that. of them, both of these games, I think were supposed to be pretty good for two. And Jenny is a big Back to the Future fan, so that was kind of my reason mm. for for getting these games. Sure, sure. Uh, you you might be surprised. This might end up being a good game. So uh, we'll see. Uh, unmatched, me. yeah. Unmatched has a new expansion, Cobble and Fog. Uh, unmatched, if you remember, we've uh, talked about it a few times on the on the podcast. Is a uh, two player or four player skirmish game. A uh, little miniature fighting game, very small, very tactical, uh, really interesting range system based on the colors of the board itself. And uh, most of the expansions for Unmatched, most of the games of Unmatched, are using uh, public domain characters uh, to you know, basically reduce their cost and all that sort of stuff. And this is uh, no, uh, no difference than that. Uh, it, you can play the Invisible Man, you can play Sherlock, you can play Dracula, or you could play Jekyll and Hyde. So... If you like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, guess what? Unmatched has a game for you. And then last but not least in the news, Poetry for Neanderthals. The the fabulous people at Exploding Kittens have put out a new game that I may have to get. Because, okay, so... Yes, we must get this game. Must get get game. With one word... Yes, uh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about it. But ah! first, so exploding kittens, not my, not, not really my bag. But then they came out with this game called Throw Throw Burrito, which my brother and his kids bought, and we spent a long weekend up in Tahoe with them. And all we were doing for half of the weekend was throwing these rubber burritos at each other. It was it was so fun and so funny and so delightful that uh, that when I saw this game, I was like, okay. Poetry for Neanderthals has a blow-up club that you that you blow up. And this a, is for you, Paul. And a, yes. yes, somebody holds the club over your head, and you are given a word, and you have to get your teammates to guess the word or words on your card. But the trick is, is you are a Neanderthal, so you can only say words that have one syllable. That's it. Never more than one syllable. If you say more than one syllable... You get the stick. So, um, so if you had Tyrannosaurus Rex, what would you do? <laughs> How would you do Tyrannosaurus Rex? This game hard. Uh, Sam Neil film green big teeth. I don't know. Maybe small <laughs> arm, big teeth. Yes, yes. Small arm, big teeth. Good. There you go. There you go. Yeah, scales. You could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, th- run. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun. Thagonal, Thagonal I mean, like tab- this. Thagonal <laughs> like this. Yeah, it's taboo, right? It's basically taboo. Yes, it's except, a- ex- ex- except with a with a twist. Taboo yes. with a twist. Yeah, 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 and and, and inflatable club. Yeah. And unlike Taboo, you know, Taboo, you can, you, you know, Taboo yeah. makes you sound. You know, all of these games are based on uh, speech restriction, right? Yep, yep. What you can't say, uh, but taboo. The speech restric- restrictions are smart and and clever, 
but they don't <laughs> create a they, they don't create a particular uh, flavor aesthetic flavor. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. This is LARP taboo. This is LARP. LARP taboo. <laughs> it very much is. It very much is. You I, know, it has a great trailer. Like you know, it's a minute trailer. I watch yeah. it. I go like, oh, you know, if, if this were at a as, there's a price point where I would buy this, like you know, sight unseen because the trailer is so uh, tight. It's twenty bucks. Nineteen ninety nine yeah. is what it is. What it costs. I think they found my price point. I think they yeah, found no, my it, price point. They I have think... a good batting average. So this is Alan Lee. Yeah, you know, it's, it's behind exploding kids. Although I don't think they put a designer. At least I couldn't see one on the on the box or on BGG. But I'm glad you mentioned there's a, that. There's a team there. Yeah. Yeah, their 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 games are actually surprise. You know, for that party kind of silly game space. They're surprisingly decent. These games are not uh, are, are not just uh, money maker money making enterprises. They're, there's a decent amount of thought that goes into them. So uh, maybe you should check those out, guys. Should we should we listen to the uh, the the best song that uh, Game Brain has ever come up with? Well, I actually had a I had a I had a idea on this. Like, could we yeah, get push, like a live version? Push the button, Tom. Push <laughs> you don't want you don't want a live button. version? No. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Yay! Games of the brain. Everybody. These are games we like to play. These are games we like to play. These are games we like to play. Oh, man. So good. I don't know why I want to go to Trey first every time I hear games of the brain, but let's go to Trey. Trey, what's on your brain? Um, I experienced some, uh, some FOMO. This week, mm. and uh, and and did purchase Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, and so I did a I did a big uh, Target run, you know, where I kind of bought online and then did the, you know, remote pickup thing. Yeah, where you just go up, show them your barcode, and they give you some bags and minimal minimal contact. But um, oh, good. I mean, Gloomhaven's the number one game on BGG, and I've never yep. played it. So like the idea of of them going and doing a version of this that was looking specifically at your like new player experience mm-hmm. um, sounded sounded great. Um, f- f- you know that I wanted to play it sometime. I have a friend in mind for playing this game with um, at some point. So I think this is a big deal. Jaws of the Lion feels like another big deal in the hobby, especially because like it's in Target now. This has a chance of really expanding the amount of people that are playing board games right because it's going to get it's going to get everybody who loves gloomhaven already and then add on to that the fact that it's in a more mass market environment yeah you're you makes a makes a good point hmm. seems really smart what else did you pick up what did i pick i picked up uh, well i thought i'd picked up the prospero hall um back to, future. Back to the future <laughs> i picked up uh top gun prospero hall prospero hall and then my third uh what am I blanking on? What's what's another Prospero Hall that I should have picked up right now? Oh, Pan Am. I got uh, yes, Pan Am. Pan Am. Another Prospero Hall. Yes, he <laughs> thought he was getting the full Prospero Hall. All three, all three of their latest games, but uh, but but only two. yeah. I don't know when we're gonna obviously you know get a chance to play it in in person, but um, I don't know. The other thing uh, I've been um, still involved with the Game of Thrones LCG community, um, which is in this really interesting space because the game uh, fantasy flight has ceased supporting the game, but the players have continued 
to run it. And we went through a whole process of the last few months where they elected a player committee to run the game going forward, which is called the Conclave. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry. And so this is, you know, this was elected by the entire international community and they're they're starting to develop uh, no new cards have come out yet, but they've been act. They just released a new uh, restricted list. And especially because of COVID, like the game has gone exclusively online, mm. but you can play this game with people from all over the world now online and honestly, like for free because it's an electronic implementation now mm. that exists. And so like, it's a great game mm. that uh, you can now go and, and, and join the community and play for free online. So it's actually, it's a really good fit for, you know, the pandemic times. Question number one, and, is it is it a great game right up until the last season, or is it a great game all the way through? <laughs> Damn. That Damn. is actually completely accurate, because they they did a... <laughs> uh, their final release of Fantasy Flight was, like, all the cards that were, like, way too powerful and broken to ever actually <laughs> release, but they just kind of said, screw it. So Black and Lotus, we'll just, and we'll they, just, they put all those sort of things out? That's funny. Yeah, the, the community note calls... Uh, it's a... It's a, it's a chapter pack called things uh i think the things we do for love and they just but they just referred to it as the bin pack as in you just immediately put this pack in the trash and act like it doesn't exist and uh, <laughs> the community doesn't play with it at all um but the, what's going on right now which is you know the on my brain is mm. they're having the 2020 international world cup which is a Ooh. team event um, going on, and it's been going on for a number of weeks now, and we're now in the elimination rounds. And uh, I'm involved with Team USA a little bit. Mm. I'm involved in the sense that, like, I'm streaming their games. Right. Uh, the United States is playing uh, Czech Republic right now, and it's like a team of eight, and you each uh, each member of your team plays a given faction from the game, whether that's you know Terrell, Lannister, Martell. And you end up getting matched up against another player. And so you're playing a, a, a series of nine games. And then, you know, whichever team wins the most games advances advances on. So we're, we're down to the final eight. And the United States is playing Czech Republic right now. Oh, so oh. very exciting. Now, since you're the grand hierophant of the Conclave, does that mean you can't play in the tournament officially? I am not a member of the Conclave. No one has entrusted me with any responsibility other hmm. than to stream and My better games. And if I wanted to play online and I wanted to be a hobbit, uh, which which deck of cards would I use? <laughs> I'm going to move on to Paul. Paul, what's on your brain? Uh, let's see. I guess uh, the thing that I've been thinking about is love letters and specifically like playing a social <laughs> game, like you know, online uh, with strangers, which I thought would be fairly awful, but. Uh, it is not terrible. It is not terrible. How so? I, I think ultimately, like you know, in in uh, in real life, you're uh, there are all these social cues that you're playing around the table and you're laughing and you know you're having this great time and assassinating Tom. But like, um, <laughs> but like, uh, I also find that like playing online, there are things that you are also reading regardless of. Uh, of uh, not being there, like for example, consideration time, uh-huh. uh, and uh, and it's surprising. Like in this is virtual games in general, mm-hmm. I feel like I play a better game 
like virtually. Like I'm I'm a stronger player because I'm not I'm not being deviated by uh, my need to like uh, chase someone's social cue. Like you know, oh, this yeah. person wants this. I can see it in their eyes. Let me deny that. So like I'm playing more of the board state. Interesting. Then uh, and so I, I found that really interesting. Like you know, I, I found that like through the ages, I don't think I played through. If I were to play through the ages in, in real life, I don't think I'd be nearly as effective playing it huh. just because of eh, but yeah that, that was that's what i was thinking about uh, this week i mean there are you might be one of those people there are some people that excel at online poker but are terrible in in face-to-face games mm-hmm. and right, yeah. you just might be that and it's not all people assume that that's because they're you know they have bad tells or this or that or the other thing but uh, for some of them, it's not that at all. It's it's just that for some reason, their ability to focus and to pick things up that other people are missing is just is, is heightened paradoxically when they have less information to go on. So, well, I mean, I mean, I think another way of describing it is like you know, I'm I'm being less distracted by right. non-game information. Right. You could just say Dimitri. It's okay. You could just say Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tom? What have you been thinking about? Um, uh, Imperial Struggle. Imperial Struggle. I am, I am struggling through the rulebook of Imperial Struggle right now. Um, it, it is, it is definitely heavier than uh, Twilight Imperium. It is uh, Twilight Struggle. I should say yeah, so Twilight sure, Imperium. Sure. <laughs> it is not as yeah. heavy as Twilight Imperium. It, it is, it, it is heavier than Twilight Struggle by a considerable margin. Really? It, it, okay. It, it's got interesting. A, it's got a lot to it. It's got a lot to it. And it looks like it's really interesting what it what it's adding to it. It's it, I think uh, from from a first I'm in the second read through of the the rule book, and it seems like where Twilight Struggle was a card card play was the main differentiator. Right, there were a lot of other things going on, but the main differentiator in terms of your your output was how well can you manage this hand of cards and. You know, play the bad ones to be not at your deficit, and to play the good ones to to gain tactical advantage. This one has much more of a split focus. There is cards, there are card plays, and they are devastating when they are operant. But a lot of actions in the game are going to be more of almost a worker placement variety. It is almost, and there is an economy in the game. There is debt is a very big factor. Now uh, you're talking my language in the game. I, I was I was thinking about 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 you, Trey, and about how you never really got into uh, a Twilight Struggle because of the investment, right? You have to you have to really kind of to play well. You have to know all of the cards to some degree, and that's that's a real impediment, uh, especially if you are coming in when everyone else already knows all the cards. An experience I can tell you about because I just played Russian Railroads with you guys. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it yeah. really is more the dice. Well, like, it, I, I know that Twilight Struggle is worth it, and I would uh, yeah. be willing to learn the cards. It really was my my initial reaction to what like I'm doing a, a takeover or a yep. coup, yep. and like I have a four and six chance, and I roll uh, the wrong number, and oh, you like that's that's like why does a game that's card driven have a die in it? That's what, and I, I know it's supposed to be great, but sure. that that was my reaction to it so I'm, I'm interested i would i want to play this i'm yeah. not thrilled that you're saying it's more complicated no but, but i think it's, it's more complicated looking game yeah and i, I think it's the- more complicated in a way that you will like that's my guess like like you know it's going to be a teach it's going to be a learn 
and it's going to be an exploration. It's going to take several games to begin to get a, a real handle on everything that it is. But I do think that a lot of the things that they're adding are things that you will you will speak that will speak to you. So, uh, question, Tom. Like you know, th- these are the same guys who made Labyrinth, right? No, 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 no. no. Um, Volko, Volko, Volko. Same publisher. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Same publisher. Yes, GMT. Which we we. I'll just say it. Uh, um, GMT Games is the 800-pound gorilla in the war game space. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the last episode, if, if you'd listened to it, um, they have decided not to make any statement about the civil rights struggle that is going on right now. And not only that, but in their, uh, in their boards, uh, in their message boards and, and uh, on their forums, they are actively moderating out uh, comments uh, regarding that, so it's you know it's one of those things. That it's a really it, this should be this should be the time when I'm championing championing them the most, right? Uh, I should be shouting from the hills what a you know what a great company they are, and and I can't. And it's a, it's a, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Anyway, um, that's that's what's on my brain right now. Eight by eight challenge. We have no updates on the eight by eight challenge because we didn't really do anything on the eight by eight challenge. We're, we're gonna we're gonna address that based on. Uh, based I on think we learned uh, that Russian railroads would have been a pretty good candidate for the eight by eight challenge. In that, like the eight by eight challenge, we part of the idea behind it is like some games you need to play multiple times to fully appreciate them. Yeah, and like Russian railroads, I think falls into that category. Totally, yeah. We'll, could, we'll talk about that. I could tell. Okay. <laughs> I could definitely tell. <laughs> and then let's get to the Game Brain Top 50 Games of All Time. We're doing uh, numbers 26, uh, I mean, 25 through 21 right now. Number 25. This is uh, probably not on most lists for the Top 50 Games, but this is definitely a Game Brain favorite. Fresh Fish. Friedman Friesa has made the top half. 25 is where he is at. Uh, Dimitri, Paul, and myself all voted for for this game. It is, and Paul, you had the, uh, you ranked it the highest. So uh, why do you love Fresh Fish? I mean, it's, it makes you think in a way that no other game has Mm -hmm. done for me. Like, you know, you you know those uh, images where you, you kind of look and you have to like, see the negative space yes you know like and that this game has done that with gameplay yes it has and and i think that is worthy of uh, of mention because like you know it's there's no other mechanic like it really that i've seen it's so true you know uh and i think that's and it's great and it, it i never is, win there is I never <laughs> win, by the way and the person who and the person who wins the most Oh, is Jim Jim Fitzgerald? Yes, friend, friend <laughs> of the never comes to game night. Friend of the pod, Jim Fitzgerald. <laughs> he he comes he comes once every three months to game night and like an assassin just sneaks in, plays fresh fish and utterly destroys everyone. I I'm not sure he's ever lost that game. It, it's it's weird. It's weird because <laughs> because I, I think I would be really good at it, and it turns out I go. Are people playing against me, or do I just suck? Well, he is, uh, and I don't, and I can't tell. He's a programmer, and he's very mathy. So maybe there's something there. Maybe there, maybe he's, maybe the calculus that we're we're doing bidding calculus against each other and placement calculus. He might be on a whole different level. I'm not sure. Maybe, but, maybe. But, uh, I mean, it, it's but it, it, it was worth it was worth note on my list. 
the last time I played Fresh Fish, it was not with Jim, and it was refreshing because I had no idea who was going to win. <laughs> it was fresh. And once again, it wasn't me, but it was... <laughs> I think Dimitri won that one. It, it, it's, you know, it's a game that... It's, Dimitri's pretty good at this game, too. Paul, yeah. as bad as you are at this game, I think I'm worse. Well, I, I mean, here, I cannot remember a time where the three of us have ever won this game. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I can't. You know, and I think for all of it, like, we are fairly strong players at the game nights. Yes. And I, not not once do I remember Trey winning. Not once do oh, I remember no, you. Oh, no, I've never come close and, to and, and, and I don't think I've ever won either. I was going like, this is weird. I've, it's I've, almost I've, a splatter. I have won it, but it almost is. Yeah. It is like, you know, like when splat- splatters have that kind of basic defying logic or your ability mm-hmm. to understand them. And Fresh Fish has a bit of that. That's, that's luring. Sure, sure. No. It totally is. It's crazy. Uh, just so you know, it is our number 25 game, ladies and gentlemen, and it's Board Game Geek rank 2,492. <laughs> and yet, no. it is a, and yet but, it's a 10 for me. The game came out in 97. Part of the problem is that there is no good-looking implementation of it. There are three, yeah, editions, but- three editions of it, and they all suffer from, from various issues. The issue, if you wanted to pick it up, because this is one, this is probably the farthest. This is the farthest afield of anything on our list, probably. And uh, fresh fish. Try to get the plenary games. P L E N A R Y. The plenary games edition. It ain't great, but it's the best of the uh, of the three editions that have come out for it. So check that out. And one more thing, like the uh, instruction set is mm. pretty. It's pretty <laughs> minimal. It's not that hard. Well, it, the, I the mean, the expropriation rules are the expropriation rules are tricky, right? Sure, yeah. sure, sure. But you know, but still, it's there. It's not a complicated game. No, it's a deep game. Yes. Yeah, and you, you're going to have to go on the geek, and you're going to have to download the rules, explanations, and things like that. Note that there are th- basically three different sets of rules, one for each of the different editions, and you're going to have to pick and choose what you what you want to play with. Uh, if you ha- if you get this game and you really want to try it, you can uh, shoot us a little uh, a little post on Facebook or something like that, or Discord, and uh, we'll we'll walk you through the rule set that we use. Uh, number twenty four is Vitalisertas Lisboa is number twenty four. Um, really? Yeah. Really? Elder Jennifer and Alfred all threw it up there, and they're the only three who did. And Alfred has it pretty high. Alfred's a real Alfred's a real fanboy for the uh, uh, Lacerda head. For Lacerda, he's a real Lacerda head. He really is. He really is. Uh, yeah. So you said really, Paul? Why? Why was that? It's just one of those things where I feel that it's a little bit fiddly, perhaps. You know, mm-hmm. like not not just in its actual all the little pieces, but uh, its gameplay. Like it's uh, I like I like what it's going for. It seems just the implementation was just one layer of complication where I go, okay, like this isn't something that I'm ever going to really go, let's play this. Right. That's that, that's my reaction to it. Right. Yeah. I, I I'm. It is not. It, it it's. I should love it more than I do, but there's something about it for me that it just. You know. Let's put it this way. If most other designers design Lisboa, it would be the best game they've ever designed. But because sure. it's Vital Serta and sure, he's sure. done so many great games, and it's sandwiched by. On Mars and the Gallerist, or probably, or something, or something along those lines. It or shouldn't the, be higher than Kanban. 
I don't think so. Not not me, not me personally. I, I definitely yeah. put Kanban higher. Uh, number twenty three, Tricarion. Tricarion is uh, yeah. Let's see. Dimitri voted for it. Matt had it. Matt, it's Matt's number, number two, two game. Number yeah. two well, Matt, game. Matt, Matt loves that game. He loves. And Alfred that again. Game. It is great. It is a great game. The expansions are great. The expansions might be too much game, but yeah, they're pretty great, right? I think we're going to have some pretty diverging opinions on Tricarian. Oh, is that right? I think so, yeah. You don't care for it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's way too much. I think it's it's ornate. But I think that like Matt, I don't want to speak for Matt, but I when I've played with Matt, like I think he just really digs like how complex it is, how many different things you can do. Like there's just the so levers. many different things. Yeah, there's tons there's tons of levers and that for me it it goes it's just it's just kind of over over the top. So yeah, it was it was in my top thirty. I didn't put it in my top twenty, but it's in my top thirty. So I, I love I, I do love I, the game. What I think I put it in my top twenty. Did I put it in my top? I, I don't think you did. did not, you did not. You did not. Oh, so okay. Well, there you go. Never mind. Then. Just it, it, it. I think it just missed. Well, for, this was a, for a bunch thing. Of There's a lot of games that I really like that didn't make the list. Agreed. Like, <laughs> getting down Agreed. to twenty was really hard. No kidding, it really was. It, it was everyone was complaining about it. It was real. It was a real challenge. I I, I like that though. It, it clarified what I love about games. And it, it, more than that, the exercise of picking my top 20 showed me the way I've changed as a gamer in, in ways I wasn't conscious of, right? Uh, so let's go to 22. 22 is Indonesia. The splatter bounces onto the, onto the form. In number 22, Paul had it in his top 10. Trey has it in his top 10. Jennifer has it up there. Uh, yeah. How it, is this not on your list, Tom? Uh, it, I think it's I think it's literally twenty one or twenty two for me. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. It's crazy that it's not. It's one of my all time favorite games. No question about it. Absolutely astonishing. Um, the, it's my favorite Splatter. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's the problem is is that Splatter is so damn good for me. Um, Antiquity and uh, and Food Chain Magnate uh, and frankly Great Zimbabwe too. They're all so darn good it's crazy i have a really hard time picking between those four those three in indonesia they're they're all kind of amazing uh but as far as a as far as an economic game that plays very differently than every other economic game indonesia is it the the mergers in that game the choices between what 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 thing you're what of the five different research and design choices you're going to take each round to improve your company they're all brutal, and one round later, you're seeing a spiral of cause and effect for these little decisions that you've made that you that seem at once inevitable and incalculable. It's crazy, right? Like, yeah, for, for for me, like, I don't think, I don't think, like, if you asked me this a year ago, uh, I would put it even on any of my list at all, more or less, you know, the oh. top ten. But I think. This year, like if we played a game, or I mean, not this year, but like within the last twenty-four uh, months, twenty-twelve months, we played a game of Indonesia, and it clicked. And then I realized, oh my god, we are we are not even playing at the you know like the I know how to play level. We just <laughs> learned how to. This game is so much bigger than what you know we, we've been doing. Like, oh, yeah. It feels like that that time I I lost at Netrunner. Where this kid just, you know, I, I mentioned the story a lot. I wish I knew his name. <laughs> where this kid just goes, oh, no, sir. This is how you play this game. 
and I was like going, "Oh my god!" I, I, it, where is in that run? I just stopped playing the game. This I was going, like, "Oh, it's so it's so much more." Like the the thing that I uh, not to go into specifics, but like the thing that I really found interesting was like that bidding. You know, like you have a bidding track where you can just like a multiplier track. Yep. Like we we generally like when we at least the way I remember we rarely ever use that, but like I think. This time, one of us did, and I, I just saw the board. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm, it's a stereogram where it's 3D, <laughs> and I just can't." And so, anyway, that no, I, I thought it was. Really I remember cool. the exact gameplay, the the exact day that we played that game. I remember it very specifically because I also thought to myself, "This is different," and I realized what it was. What it was was all five people playing the game that day had played it at least two or three times before. So it was probably mm-hmm. the very first time that everybody knew the game. Like, we still had to be... Sure, we, sure. It's a complicated game, so we still had to have a little reminder, but it was a yep. very short reminder, and then we jumped right into it, and in the very first turn, everybody came out swinging. And we all felt it, right? By the by, the second turn of the game... It was richer for oh, it. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. So much. So much. So such a great game. Cannot more highly recommend it. It is one of those games. The the board is one of the more beautiful boards in board gaming, but it is also one of the least functional boards in board gaming. It's really, really uh, tricky as far as that goes. I'm almost tempted there on Board Game Geek. There is a, a person that has made their own map and right. you can oh. you can get it, you know, printed on latex or whatever and, and, and roll it out like a scroll and have your own big map and then sure. you can put bigger pieces and I almost want to do that so you know I'm thinking about that someday you never know we'll see and last, cool. but, not, last but not least for today number 21 number 21 is not one game it is a family of games 18xx uh, we couldn't you know several people voted for 18xx games so we combined them all into one because no, no one got multiple votes uh, Jennifer has it as her second favorite game of all time I have it in my top 20 Alfred has it in his top 20 um, yeah it, it's wait no Matt what no, no Matt Matt, uh, Matt did not put it in there no he didn't strangely enough but uh, huh. XX is an incredible incredible uh, game system it's it, it, you know much like when we talked about age of steam in the in, in the age of steam review we talked about how it's not just a game it's a game system and different people have come and built their own boards for age of steam with slightly different rules that have radically transformed what how the game plays well age of steam uh, 18xx is that in spades people have created games that are so significantly different that they've created their own branches and people are iterating off of that branch to to, to develop new games um, there are, are games that are heavily stock based and very cutthroat there are games that are very uh, uh, map based in terms of uh, uh, planning the best routes and they're very you know a little more blue sky and and, and I love them all I think they're really really fantastic I, I highly recommend people at some point in their lives uh, to dip a toe into the 18xx world. I will say that uh, having uh, heard from uh, a lot of our uh, game brainers that the Chesapeake in Ohio game that is just out now uh, may be the very best intro to 18xx of them all. Brand new one, Chesapeake and Ohio. Check it out. Uh, that's it for Game Brain Top 50 Games. 
Uh, next week, stay tuned because we're going to do 20 to 16. We're getting down there. We're getting down into the good stuff. But now it is time for our game review. Tale of the Tape is we are looking at Russian railroads. Much like Madeira, it is a 2013 release, a good year for a good vintage for games. The designers are Helmet Olney and Lonnie Orgler. And the artists are Martin Hoffman and Klaus Stefan. And it is published here in the States by Z-Man Games. Trey, take it away. Tell us, tell us how Russian Railroads plays. All right. So this is a worker placement game. Uh, and kind of pretty straightforward uh, worker placement game. Uh, there is a common board that has 24 action spaces. Um, you know, and we have workers. Like, you literally have workers for your worker placement game. I think we start with five. Um, some actions require multiple workers. And the idea in this game is that we are building train lines uh, out from Moscow to three different destinations. Kiev is a destination, St. Petersburg is a destination, and then we have the Trans-Siberian Railroad that will go all the way to Vladivostok. Um, some elder will not really like this game, I would guess, because <laughs> there's almost no resources in this game. You just have workers, and then you have uh, what are called rubles, which essentially are workers, except for you can carry them over to next round, and also a few actions require that you have that you spend a ruble in order to do them. But other than that, like your economy is completely based upon the workers that you spend on actions. Um, every round. Mm. Um, so on your turn, what you're doing is you're taking one action, which is always placing at least one worker on a space and then kind of like car carrying things out. So that's the common board that we all share. And then each player has an individual player board with these train lines that I, that I talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so this isn't like another other train games you played where you're going to have a common board and we're all laying track on a common board and competing. Each player board is completely individual and I can't affect another player's player board and they can't affect mine. We're all doing our own lines to Kiev or St. Petersburg or whatever, but the game of Russian railroads, or at least a, a big part of the game of Russian railroads is this individual player board, right? Like it's a puzzle. And it's a pretty uh, dense puzzle that, you know, by playing the game, you kind of figure out and through multiple plays, you start to learn the intricacies of like how to massage this puzzle in order to get the most um, rewards out of it. So the one of the things to kind of explain and how this game works is you are spending your actions in order to extend these lines to the different cities. Two of the lines are nine tracks long. The Trans-Siberian line is 15 tracks long. And then you, to get points in the game, you score at the end of every round. But in order to score any of these lines, you have to have a train of sufficient strength to, like if you have a uh, four strength train on the line, it will only score the first four tracks. On the line, even if you've built further than that, it's only going to score the first four tracks. And part of what you're doing in this game is you're upgrading your track. 
um, like at the beginning of the game, you can only lay black track and black track awards no points, but it can unlock rewards, including better color track, which does reward points. So you, you need to lay down black track before you can lay down the gray track, before you can lay down the brown track, before you can lay down the cream track, before you can lay down the white track. But the white track is scoring tons and tons of points, whereas the black track is scoring none. But it's an interesting thing because you're scoring at the end of every round, and there's the game is seven rounds long. You have this very interesting kind of ramp up in terms of your score. So it's very common in this game that like at the end of the first round, everybody might have scored a couple points, or maybe somebody scored five or six. But by the seventh round of the game, players may be scoring over 100 points in a single game. Um, and a winning score in this game might be 400 points uh, or more. So in addition to those three lines, there's also a fourth industry track that kind of requires different action spaces in order to advance on. And along that industry track, there are factories which have these very powerful one-time powers. And one of the cool things that the game does in terms of balance and mechanisms is that um, there's a supply of trains that double as the industry. So that when you take a train or an industry, it's actually the same tile. And then you have a decision to make of like, okay, I've purchased a strength two train. Am I placing this as a factory that gives a certain power or am I laying it on a line? And again, there's kind of like how the track, you have to do some kind of track before you unlock another type of track. We have to go through all the two strength trains before we get to the three strength trains, before we get to the fourth strength trains. And this goes all the way up to nine strength trains, which are uh, the best in the game. And then kind of like a final thing that's in the game is that there are engineers, which are essentially action spaces that you can get for yourself that only you can take. And there's a lot of competition sometimes to kind of secure these personal action spaces that you can then, you know, count upon for your engine for uh, the rest of of the game. So the core thing the players engaging in in this game is that it's a worker placement game in which I'm competing with other players on the common board full of action spaces, and then there's this personal board which is a puzzle that I can unlock through a variety of paths. And like, and that's where the, the richness of the game is. And I would say that like the appeal of the game and maybe also like the barrier to entry on the game is that this, the personal board is like deciphering this board is a puzzle and it's a very interesting puzzle. Um, but it's also kind of a static puzzle where like there's not a there's no randomness in how this board is is set up um and to master the game requires like multiple plays and i think tom you experienced this where like if you have not played this game in a couple years and come back the 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 personal player board can seem like it's 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 a tough thing to take in it's dense there's a lot of different stuff going on and the implications of it require kind of multiple plays for you to um yeah, to understand it, I would say around the around the third turn of the game, and there's only what five or six in the in, in the whole game. Um, seven, yeah. seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around the third turn of the game, I was like, okay, I'm remembering. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, I know what I did, what I did wrong, and 
you know, based on that, I said, okay, I think I can see my way forward based on the things that I've done. Because almost no matter what you've done, you've built yourself towards something, right? I mean, that's one of the things about a very tight and static puzzle. You're doing, you're always doing something no matter what. But uh, yeah, I think the fact that, that there is very little random in the way the game is set up. I think the starting resources that you that you start with is one of the only uh, uh, things that... So the big variable setup thing in this game are the engineers. Mm. Um, I think there's probably... Paul, do you know this? Like, is There's like maybe like 11 or 12 different engineers, but you're, there's only like six of them are going to be in the game. Yes. There's, uh, there's the number of engineers equals the number of rounds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so since there's so little that's actually random in the game, uh, much like chess, right, there is nothing random in, in the game. And because of that, there are scripted opening moves and scripted opening setups, and, and the, the game can be studied because it, doesn't, because it, it is so unchanging. And given that, yeah, it, it, that creates a much stronger imbalance between people who have played it many times and people who have played it a few times than a game with more moving pieces, right? It's a high-skill game. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, I was going to say, like, that I don't know is entirely true mm-hmm. because, like, with the seven, you know, like, variations of engineer, and it's not just engineer, but, like, you know, it's the an ordering of when they come out. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what you're going to find is that, like, the optimal strategy changes with each, uh, with your position yes. and your uh, and, and how they've laid out. Each game is going to be played very differently depending on when the engineer is going to come out. Like there's an A, there's like weaker engineers that are A engineers, and then there are B engineers. But within that, even the the what you call it the the variation in in that uh, coming out will drastically change what you should be planning on. So like, gotcha. I feel like with that, th- though it's contained its variability, the variability there has such a huge impact on the game. Right. To me, yeah, I think the more, the more you play, like people that play this game competitively, when they sit down and they're looking at the game, they are studying those engineers and, and figuring out, okay, what is this particular setup going to reward? But they can only see I, the first two. Is that correct? No, you see them all. Oh, oh so you, you know what's coming. Okay. Yeah. And like you can look and see, okay, this game doesn't have much support for industry or maybe it has a lot of support for industry. Mm. Um, You know, it it will it will affect um, like the overall economy of the game because all of these engineers end up being action spaces. There are action spaces that are public for a couple of turns before you can purchase the engineer and then put it down in your own tableau. And then you can you know, you can kind of rely upon that. going going forward it seemed, so, like, it seemed like from from the guy who has played at the least it seemed like uh in order to get an engineer you need to pay a ruble and yep. so therefore you have to get a ruble which generally means you have to pick the i would like to go first action so because the first action in not every round in in our game but definitely i believe for the first four or five rounds at least getting a ru- rubles was the first action because even if you're not going to use it for the engineer a ruble is essentially a spare worker that you can save from round to round and you can use them as a as a worker whenever you need to is that correct yeah, that that's right. I mean, and taking an engineer is one of the premium spots. Um, it's not an autoplay. I think we were mm. concerned that there were a certain amount of like autoplays in the game, and it's definitely the case that 
you know, different worker placement spaces in the game are definitely more valuable than others. But that's kind of part of the bones of a worker uh, placement game. Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's automatic. And there definitely is, I think, also what you're referring to, and we'll talk about this a little bit in the, in the um, host segment, is like there's a, there can be some queuing up. Like if you are prioritizing getting a certain engineer, then you do need to probably make sure you have a ruble and then you're looking to grab start player. And like, when do you do that? Because uh, there's an opportunity cost in like using your action to grab start player. Um, but those are all like valid um, decisions that sh are kind of standard for worker placement games. And like, especially, I mean, it already sounds like Agricola, right? Like that's yeah. that kind of que queuing up to do. Um, family you know, growth to build to you know to do to build the room so that you can then do family growth. Um, this should feel pretty comfortable for people that played Agricola. And in fact, like that's one of the observations I made about this game when I was thinking about it is that I, I, I this is definitely a game that is I think heavily influenced by Agricola. That you know you strip off the train theme. Um, there's a lot of Agricola bones underneath it and maybe even some design decisions that were made in reaction to Agricola, like trying to preserve the things that people like about Agricola while addressing the, the problems um, that they have. But you do have a lot of the same dynamics and you do also have, you know, this individual player board that other people can't affect in which you're, you know, you're growing out your tableau over the course of the game Um it's different than Agricola, but it's still like you start with a blank slate and then it's like, how is my game going to play out on my personal uh, tableau that that has a lot of things in that is that are similar there. Right. Huh. Um, now, that said, this I mean, and jump in any time you, you guys no, sure. want here, but I don't think this is this is not a train game. No, like this is a train themed game. It is certainly not a rail game. Um, so what? Let's let's define our terms. What makes a train game a train game as opposed to a train theme game? Um, I, mean, I would say the, the the biggest the biggest thing is that there needs to be a for a train game. There needs to be a map that we have competing rails on. Competitive track laying, shall we call it exactly? That? Yes, I, I think that's that that's uniform. What I would call a train game. And uh, I would say I would say one. And I would say most train games have uh, not all, but most that I that I really consider what a train game really is is that uh, those track layings and the the movement of my trains has an economic component that is, uh, that is the scoreboard to some degree. Sure. Not in all well, cases. Yeah, like, not not in all cases. I mean, like, but take take even something super simple like ticket to ride mm. you know you're laying rails and you're kind of racing yes you beat other people to certain connections and make your connections across the board that's going to you know that's going to be rewarded in in score um this doesn't do that no. <clears throat> every and, and like this in this game it's almost like your player board you're you almost have like competing alternative universes of like how you would arrange your russian railroads because it doesn't matter at all that alfred has completed his trans-siberian railroad and i haven't even started mine right um the only because like only... Our, our, our worlds do not intervene other than on the worker placement board correct but if if you and i are both going for the trans-siberian railroad it, the 
nothing I do on my player board in the advancement of my Trans-Siberian Railroad has anything to do with you. But because we are both doing that, we are both, both going to be competing for similar spaces on the main action board. There's the, uh, right? Uh, and so yeah. it's almost like each player, really, if you broke it down, has three temple tracks. That's what the game is. The game, we each have our own three temple tracks. The temple tracks have multiple rewards on them. And there are synergies sometimes between, you know, doing this and, and doing that. And we are taking actions on the main board in order to move up our temple tracks. But my, my score on temple track A does not in any way affect your score on temple track A and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think I might object a little bit to the temple track uh, analogies just because temple tracks generally are about competition, you know, and who's going to be at the end, like whoever is higher on yeah, this that's track why is going to get more points. Right. Um, but again, it is more like, uh, again, I feel like this is a kind of version, a rethemed Agricola in some ways. Like, in the same way, like, remember how people complained about Agricola? It's like, well, how come, you know, only you can do family growth this turn? That's not realistic. Um, like, that's, that's we're in a similar space here where like the limits are on the the actions you can take but like what you do on your board is is your own business and you're going to score it completely in, independently of what other people are doing yeah i mean I, I always find those those seem very pedantic to me like like look it looks like i'm building a farm it looks like, looks like i'm making a farm it's obviously hard to do farming in this era so it it feels like I'm farming, so it, it, I don't care, right? <laughs> I don't really care. Now, in this game, this game is even more abstract, right? I know for a fact yeah. that there are there are not three different Trans-Siberian railroads that go all the way across Russia. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're just there aren't. So, in, in this case, there is there is more abstraction that that does actually pull me out of the game more, uh, which is which is to your point, Trey. Which is this is this is a train themed game, and even in that sense, not. Not not tremendously themed. There are five different color tracks that you're laying down, and some are more valuable than others. Where what what real world? Uh, 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 where's the real world uh, uh, explanation for what that is? Yes, what's the analogy? That's what that's what I should have said, Paul. Thank you. So here's my list of like the things that I think are very good about this game. Mm. Um, you tend to have very fast turns. And so you're you're staying involved as players because the game's moving generally very quickly where you're just you're taking an action, then it goes to another person, and they're taking an action. And so and often the player right in front of you, what they do is affecting what you're going to do. So you really need to be paying attention. Uh, you need to be looking at other people's boards to kind of be guessing what they're gonna take so that you can make the right decision about what you need to take before it gets taken um, taken away. Um, there, this game has a lot of, um, oh, it's very fast turns, but then occasionally you're going to have a very big turn where you kind of do a super combo yep. and you unlock a lot of things at once and it has a big impact on the game. And David in particular, our friend David identified that this is something that he likes in games where you kind of have these like little mini moves, mini move, mini move, and then boom explosion where you combo things and it has a big impact on the game. And the, the game kind of exceeds at that. Um, mm -hmm. This game has a lot of little like mini 
emotional moments where like you can be really happy that this action space that you want that you kind of gambled of like would this fall to me on round three and it does like that can feel really great and it also has a lot of groans where the action space that you want it you know gets right to the player in front of you and then they take it and you 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 groan and you're like ah paul why you know (laughs) Paul especially is like pointing out, Alfred, you're killing me. You know, it has a lot of those <laughs> kind of moments in the game, which I think are really good fun. emotional and, f- and fun moments. Um, okay. I think this game has like the appropriate weight for like the game brain podcast crowd um, where it's kind of it's Medium a high heavy. skill game. Um, it's not it's not overly complex. Um, it does reward multiple plays. It can be a, a little bit of a beast on a first play, but I think you kind of, like you said, turn three, you kind of get over the hump yeah. and you get it. And I think this game also like addressed one of the main problems with Agricola in terms of turn order mechanics, or I think it has a very good uh, turn order thing that's that's balanced and interesting in the way it plays out. Agreed. Yeah. I like, like For me, as far as the, uh, the learning curve, I would describe this as a, a logarithmic growth. Where mm-hmm. like the first couple of r- rounds or maybe games, uh, you are going to learn a lot and n- get the game quickly, and then like it, like you know like be- the difference between like a uh, a great player's understanding and a less successful person who's great, it's probably minute as far as it's it's how they understand a certain mechanism just a little bit better or. <laughs> timing or something so like, you can get to a good level of play a fun level of play very quickly and if you spend the time to uh put you know put the effort into studying the game you'll find that the uh it'll still be rewarding does that mm-hmm. make sense yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it does the the exploding aspect that you you'd mentioned there are a, a lot of games that that do that they have smaller actions smaller actions and all of a sudden it just blossoms out into a, into a big turn um, I I tend not to to love it when the game is designed to do specifically that in the sense that in the beginning you can do very little and then by the end you're taking these huge massive mega turns and you you know you're master of the universe sometimes that can feel very uh, you know, it, it feels a little too much by the by the end of the game. I like the fact that in this game, those turns, uh, you know, they happen. They don't just happen at the end of the game. They can happen at points in the middle of the game when you've finally got your three or four different little things lined up just so, and you're able to do that. I I, I kind of like that. I like very much that there are so many places where doing A leads to B, and if you time it right, doing B leads to C, and, and, and so on and so forth. So that, that is that is a really, truly enjoyable part of this game and a, and a really good part of its design, for sure. Yeah, it's I not exactly what's... ramping up as... Like, points tend to ramp up and up. Um, it's more that there, there are these kind of endgame rewards that you can trigger at certain points where you have this mega turn that's going to define your game, but then you actually then go back to just doing standard worker placement stuff again. Yeah. And it kind of... It it creates this you know heartbeat of little turn little turn big turn little turn little turn little turn little turn big turn, rather than like uh, like you're talking about Tom where it just ramps up in complexity and like we've all played those games where suddenly like we're in the final round and everybody's turn is taking 15 minutes yeah like that's not what this is doing and that's annoying, uh, but go ahead Paul. Uh, I was gonna say I was gonna ask us like you know or ask you guys like 
when this first came out, I think this was it's got a lot of heavy play in our group. You know, yeah. I think we played, uh, and then what what burnt us out about it? Like you know, like do we remember anyone? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, I'll say a couple of things. First of all, um, we get other games and we play other games. Sure. We play a lot of different sure. games, and so so deep, not wide, is not something easy for us to do because we we've got a pretty big you know collection and turnaround and. We we do play the we do play the new games, and one of the reasons we created this podcast is because basically we're we're already doing the podcast every time we have a game in. Like, oh yeah, you played that. What was that like? And we were basically reviewing it around the table anyway. Um, but also, they came out with German railroads, and then after that, mm-hmm. they came out with American railroads. Uh, um, I I played both of them, and they're both interesting, but they kind of cannibalized the original for us anyway. Right? We played a few games of the one, and then and then moved on. German railroads introduces coal as an element, so so taking a step toward elder, it, it has uh, <laughs> it has a resource that has some uh, some value and and plays in some very different ways. And then the American one uh, introduces a stock market, which you know it, it it could not be a more basic stock market. Essentially, when you uh, when you build certain Certain rails to certain points, you move up a stock track, and the first person to move to the next level of the stock track chooses what the benefit everyone who gets to that level is going to get. So there's sort of like a seven or eight tier uh, little bonuses that you get by doing that, and you can order those bonuses if you're ahead of other people on that on that track. So um, I, I would say that, that I thought both expansions were, were, were quite good and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I just think at the end of the day, this is a very solid game, but it's not a game that, that, that drives me crazy. It's not a game like, oh, my God, I can't wait to play this again. I think it's a really, really solid uh, a game, but it's not – there's something – it just doesn't have that, that, that special quality for me that, that makes it groundbreaking. Like I'll never – if somebody says, I want to play Russian Railroads, I'm never going to say, nah, I don't want to play that. I will always play this game pretty much, right? But it's not the game that if I'm recommending a game, it, it's probably not the one that's ever going to be on my lips. Does that make sense? It's, it's totally – I have actually a very similar reaction to it. The way I would describe this game is it's sleek. It's a sleek, sexy game, and in its own way, because it's such, it's so much that uh, it isn't sticky for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. its sleekness like makes it so that uh, I, I really respect it, and I go like, "Oh, I have fun playing." And I never, and same with you, I wouldn't say no to it, but it doesn't capture my imagination in a way that uh, that other things would. But you know, that's just me. What about you, Trey? Yeah, I wonder if like what you're talking about, Paul. With, I think our group puts a really values interactivity, yep. and mm-hmm. and this game is probably falling short on like we do kind of like the more brutal aspects of Age of Steam, and like in our rail games do have a lot more kind of like conflict and interaction for good or bad, and this one's kind of oh. safer, where like you're you're just jostling over worker placement stuff, which is good. But um, you might, especially because you like you enjoy that social aspect. Sure, sure, sure. Um, like I think you, that's going to be could put that frustrating to you that you can't put more, that you can't bring more pressure to bear on other players in in the game when you see what they're doing and can you de- deny them? Absolutely, uh, that type of thing. I I think Tom, I come down pretty close to you on this. Where um, I would say that this is a very good game. It's not a great game for me um and 
it falls short of my desire that a game's theme marry its mechanics. Mm-hmm. I think we talked, you know, before, like, I don't think the theme is actually a good match uh, for the mechanics. And that kind of, it's one of the things that keeps it from from being great. You know, that said, I think when I started, when we looked at, like, doing this as a review, my opinion of the game has improved since I decided to review it. And, like, there is more depth there. Having watched, uh, I think I experienced a little bit of, like, the um, Paul's Netrunner thing where, (laughs) and this maybe even addressed, like, why did we stop playing Russian Railroads a few years ago, is I think we thought that there were kind of, like, there's only two strategies in this game. Like, that seemed to be the, Hmm. the takeaway from the thing. But, like, now that we've played it more and seen, and I've watched better players play it, I kind of realized that it's not true, that there there is a lot more depth and subtlety and, so, you know, some amazing kind of strategy that can be accessed here. It does take a lot of uh, investment, but it is there for people that, that want to uh, put it in. I think you could have easily rethemed this to, like, maybe a city-building game or something. Like, just something about the—it does bug me that, like, this whole thing about you got to do gray track before you do black track, before you do brown track, just doesn't doesn't say rails to me at all. Like, there's no—like, that shouldn't bug me, and it doesn't bother a lot of players, but it does. It doesn't say anything is what it is, right? It it has no real-world correlation. Yeah. I think we do want that. I I want that in in my games a lot of times, so— yeah, and it's weird. Like we have four different versions of the Trans Siberian, you know, rail lines. Like, no, that's not that's not again, that's not a train game, and then, so maybe it's an unrealistic expectation. But like, that's what I like about train games is like whoever completes that thing, like we're competing over it, and maybe there's two different things connecting these cities, but somebody had to spend a lot more money in doing this really weird route because Dimitri went there first, you know, that type of... No, I mean, if you if you theme this game differently, those five different color tracks could make all the all the sense in the world, right? If this was yeah. if this was a, uh, a a jewelry a retail jewelry business game for for instance, right? You've got three different tracks and those are your sales at your at your mass market store, you know, at your Kmart line or whatever, at your little you know, your mom and pop uh, store where you're selling the gems to there and then you have Tiffany's, right? Or something along those lines and you know, you need to sell the the item that you're basically selling at a loss. That's the black track getting people in the door so that you can get them to buy the gray track, which is the whatever, you know, uh, silver sure. items or whatever and so on and so forth. So th- there there are ways that that, that, that could work. There's just 50 this... different directions you could have yeah. gone to, Absolutely. Um, that, that would have yeah. been as good or better than, than trains. But I'm curious if... what Jennifer would have thought about this game. Well, I'm, I'm curious what she thinks. You know, like she, she's big XX head, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, let's let's say who this game is for, because we don't dislike the game. I mean, we're, we're no. kind, it's kind yeah, of yeah. we're kind of almost damning with faint praise. So let's say this: for if you are a person that is a medium weight gamer, like you're not, you know, when we start bringing out the heavy titles, you're like, yeah, that doesn't really sound like it's for me. If you're more of a medium weight gamer and you like worker placement games, uh, you know. It, this is something you should definitely consider. It is a worker placement game that works very well and that is surprisingly deep. That you can play this for a long time and there's still um, there's still discovery. Yeah, there's yep. there's still yep. mountains to climb. Exactly. Yeah. So so seriously consider this game because it's really good and the expansions uh, are worthwhile. They're they're quite good as well. 
of our group, only Alfred put this on their on his top twenty. And Alfred does love it, but that he's the only one from Game Brain that, that that put it on the list. That said, I think it's a good fit for our audience for the Game Brain podcast. Like this is in the wheelhouse of you know, although we have a pretty you know wide group, but like sure. I mean, a medium heavy euro. Yes, this is it. Yeah, oh, actually, <laughs> probably a, probably a medium euro that plays heavier than it is, which is, you know, it checks a sure. lot of boxes for us. It really does. It, so it, uh, my it, recommendation. It's a mild conflict. Yes. Like, you know, Alfred Alfred is a person who doesn't necessarily <laughs> like head head on head on. You know, and so when you when you yep. mentioned that it was me me like Alfred and I are on opposite ends, and I think he like he's really fast at this game. He like he knows exactly what he's doing. It's crazy. Like as far as like you know we, we measure time on board game arena and like i'm double him you know he's and like, that is because yeah. Yeah, that's not because i'm like taking like hours it's because he's he's taking seconds <laughs> yeah but he came in last so <laughs> we gotta, we gotta he remember. made one mistake he made one mistake he did he made, mistake. he made one mistake um yeah. so yeah uh, my recommendation would be if this sounds like it might be interesting to you please go play it during this this time on board game arena the board game arena implementation is good it really works well and try before you buy you might just fall in love with this and buy yourself a copy for when we can get together again uh, that's a recommendation from uh, from Game Brain on Russian railroads. So, given that, uh, let's get into our member specific segment. We're talking about racing in games. We talk, we have a lot of games that are racing games. We have races in games, even in games that don't specifically have racing. Trey, take us through it. What are we talking about here? Well, I, this all came out of um, last week's podcast with deter- like determining if a game is right for you mm-hmm. and i actually i started thinking about um like the steps you were identifying on the podcast of like it does something right for me uh and i was trying to identify like things that i like in games and like one of the things i came up with was kind of like this idea of racing in games i do like um races in my games but i don't actually like racing games per yeah. se so like so what are we talking about here um i think when we're talking about like racing in games we're not just talking about like a theme or a victory condition right but that's also kind of like the starting point though right sure like, so uh plenty of games are almost like first order racing games and these tend to be older style games right like even stuff like Candyland, shoots and ladders sorry like you win by finishing right and then first one to the end, yes. Yeah, and then we've got stuff that's a little more Euro-y, more modern. Where you know, like Pitch Car, Formula D, Robo Rally. Again, it's like he who wins the you know the player who wins the game wins the race, win wins the game. But that's not really what we're talking about here. No. Um, some games you race to a final condition to trigger mm-hmm. an end mm-hmm. game. Um, but I think what and like race for galaxies like this race for galaxy has a number of races in it but part of it is like the end game is going to be when somebody has gotten to 12 cards or when somebody has exhausted the victory point tokens right um but it also like you're going to race for certain milestones in that game um yeah that you can you can get get points for being the first first person to a given thing and so Maybe that's I'm getting closer to what I'm talking about. It was like when place, people or players are racing or competing with each other to do something first, and maybe even that thing that you're doing first might even be finite, because yes. like only like one person's going to get it. 
Yes, the 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 race to be the first one, because the first one gets this reward. That is, that's really something that most of us in in Game Brain really love, right? We love that experience. So the thing, I, so like a super distilled version of a game that is one hundred percent racing is your baby ricochet robots yeah, it like is the, literally a race against time to to come up with a solution right yeah the core loop of that game is that every round we play that game it's a race to identify the most efficient solution first yes yes it is it it, it could not be more stripped down into a race game even though the theme has nothing to do with racing yes 100 percent and like, and that's incredibly strong. Like, this is this is a game that's uh, very popular in our group, and because like that's, you know, that's a, it, like it doesn't even, it's a it's a beautiful design thing because each round that puzzle may vary in complexity mm-hmm. tremendously. Oh yeah. And as a solo exercise, that would be boring, but because I'm competing against other players in order to do it quickly. It's tremendously interesting. Yeah. Sometimes the race is, is going to be over in 10 seconds. Sometimes the race is not going to be over for three minutes of staring at that board looking for a solution. And it's not immediately evident the moment the next piece is flipped over which of those two conditions it's going to be or where in between. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is cool. So, so another place where I was thinking of like racing entering in in a way that that really connects with me and what I'm like thinking about is a, is a game right for me is kind of like there's something inherent in worker placement games where you're racing to get the most rewarding, rewarding action spaces. Yep. And even that is going to be based upon like what's your given situation. We're all going to value these spaces differently, differently. Yep. but on every single turn, certain things are being taken out, and you're and you're um, having to look at the current situation and decide what's the thing I have to grab here. What are the things that I'm competing for versus the things that I'm I'm not um, competing for? And I, so I think this is a really strong concept, and that it also means that you do not have to perfectly balance your choices between action spaces. In fact, you you don't want to in a worker placement game. You know. Uh, Sometimes the value is conditional, but sometimes it's just certain action spaces are just straight up better. Yeah, um, yeah, and and the quicker there is divergence based on the path you're taking, right? The more rich that that choice space is. Yep. Like, say for let's take uh, Agricola for example. Like, you might have two different action spaces: one that gives you three wood, and another that gives you two. Um, there's going to be a lot of richness there in terms of like the race might be to b- get the better three wood, but the race might also be just to get any wood at all. Yeah. Or can I forego the three wood because the two wood will still do what I want it to do. So I'm going to prioritize other things full. So in a sense like that, it ends up giving you a lot of, um, when you set up these situations with races, it gives you a lot of design flexibility where you don't have to be perfect. Like yes. the players can solve your problems that you've that you've created over you know intentionally or unintentionally. And then a further calculation: there are also two spaces, one of which allows you to plow one field, and one of which allows you to get one grain. To another way of thinking, 
those wood spaces later in the game are going to accumulate more and more wood. So those spaces will get better as the game goes on, whereas the plow one field and the get one grain are never going to improve. So taking those actions in those beginning rounds toward one calculation are never going to get better. They're as, they're as valuable now as they ever will be in the game, and so there's a, a way of valuing them highly. The reason we value the wood so highly is because extra actions is such a key to the game and wood is the avenue to extra actions right yeah and i think we see we see that in russian railroads too is like the hierarchy of valuable action spaces at the beginning of the game is not going to be the same at the end some things are going to be consistent but you know others are going to change in value over the over the the course of the game and you have to be constantly reevaluating that so the game that you know that I was thinking of that is absolutely full of racing, but is not racing themed at all. That is kind of a favorite of our podcast is age of steam. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Almost everything is a race. <laughs> Simultaneously. Right. Very much. Yeah. So. Like, like, so Paul, just like when I say, okay, what, what are the things you're racing for in age of steam? Uh, for me, like, I think the, the, the two simple things are, uh, like, no, not two. Th- are basically your special actions, like you know, like locomotive and say urbanization are almost always what people are trying to get and uh, position. You know, like I, I need to get, I need to lay my track first here. I need to. Mm-hmm. So those, those two things. So you're try- racing to connect key cities. Exactly, and uh, racing to to find the means in order to connect those things. Mm-hmm. And the the fuel that you're using for your, the race is how much money you want to go in debt. <laughs> yeah, you know that, that that that's that's how I see it. So like, you are know, you are you racing to deliver key goods that are finite? Yes, yes. absolutely. Are uh, you they're, they're, are you racing for the benefits so to re- move up your to move up your engine, for instance, and things like that? Yeah, right. Uh, all, all that stuff, everything like that's the great thing about Age of Steam for me in in the race aspect is that. Everything is a race and everything is situational that everyone has to compete with simultaneously. Does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, like, and the game, um, I think, really recognizes that because in the kind of player powers part of the game where we're bidding for both turn order and then we're each going to take an individual um, player power for a given round, like the game acknowledges – that there's a ton of races going on because it's going to allow one of these powers to break the rules on a given race. It's like, we're going to have a basic turn order, but then somebody's going to be able to break the rules and build first. And another power is going to allow us to break the rules and deliver goods first. So they're all like cheats that, 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 um, that that break the normal order of and allow you to win a given race that's important to you in the game. And you're just deciding which race is critical to me this turn or how much am I willing to pay in order to win? Which to me sounds exactly like my, the best game of all time. Demacher. Demacher is seven races. That's the entire game is seven races, literally campaigns, right? The race for, Mm -hmm. for, for this state or that state. Um, and just like what you said, there are advantages you can get that you can shortcut that race, right? 
I can form a coalition with somebody that's basically already won that race, and I'm going to share in two thirds of the of the rewards of that, or so on, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it, choose, and you can't win every race, and mm-hmm. choosing which ones to focus your very your surprisingly limited resources on in order to maximize that is is what makes the, the democracy so much for me. So, yeah, very much so. Yeah, the. Um, the the racing concept, I think, also appeals to our group in the sense that there's a downside to racing, which is that when you lose a race, it can be devastating. Yeah. Like the, the, the racing in a game can be high drama. It's also high consequence. So it's probably more at home in more competitive games. And again, like it probably needs to like, I think it fits our group well, because when we look back, like having played a lot of games, when we look back at our like, as I think in um, Paul's segment, you know, early on in the podcast addressed this is like he's he's looking at this in terms of memories. Like what are these what, what creates these moments of high drama, high consequence that we remember and are still talking about? Well, you know, like what are the smokescreen moments yeah. or whatever <laughs> from time to time? And I think that racing does this, but it also means sometimes you get your teeth kicked in. Yeah. When you lose a race and you're like, okay, and I'm done. Look, if if there's not a possibility that somebody's going to cry, Paul isn't even going to show up. <laughs> okay, I, I was hanging out with David Gilson, like you know, <laughs> with a, a social distancing uh, lunch yesterday, mm-hmm. and we were t- we we're talking, and I was talking about the best game uh, moment of 2020 for me, which is you know, which is basically uh, Trey, uh, myself, David Gilson. Uh, and maybe someone else. We're playing Age of Steam, and Trey Trey was behind the race curve, uh, and to the point where he was almost out of the game. And then David Gilson does something to Trey and like makes a swarmy comment about it. it says something like, "Ah, and there you go, Trey. Yeah, you get something, something like that." And Trey, we were playing on Tabletop Simulator. Trey goes, okay, Paul, uh, I've made you a host. Uh, my game isn't going to affect anyone. I'll see you later. <laughs> Table and flip. Then he, it, 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 then he, 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 wait, it's more. He, he, he leaves. And then David goes, what the hell just happened? I go, like, you, did, you had to do that, David? And then Trey comes back, gone, and goes, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> Trey is the Trey is the king of the drive-by comments on games he is no longer in. It's crazy. No, he he came out back to play the game, but like you know, it was it was he was. <laughs> Paul, Not you are Trey. you are the energy vampire from what we do at the shadow. Yeah, you are you are really definitely are. you are no, the Colin I, Robinson of I, our group, without a doubt. I, I take that. I take that with honor. So I want to talk about I want to talk about something else about this. This is sometimes. The end condition of the game is a race in itself. And it's not yeah. always a good thing. But it is one of these things where some games end at a certain number of rounds, right? A lot of games are that way. Some games end when a you know a pile is expired or all that sort of stuff. But that's yeah. not exactly what I'm talking about because that is that is you can play a game in such a way to cause the game to end earlier or later than than it normally would or than people are expecting, right? You can affect the tempo of the game, as it were. But there yeah. are games that that specifically the game ends when somebody wins this particular race. Dune, for instance, right? 
Yeah, you get it. Yep. You get a certain number of strongholds depending on depending on how many people are in your in your coalition, and you win the game. Tribune meet a certain number of conditions. It doesn't mean you win the game, so it's a little bit of a. Uh, it's not quite the same, but it is it, it is similar because that's really putting you in a very good position to win the game based on uh, based on well, that. Tribune, Tribune has a ton of races of racing. Yes, it. it does. It does. I would say. But, uh, you know, I would say that, that war games, right, uh, they, are, they are absolutely a, a, a race. You are, you are winning the game by, uh, not by, it, it doesn't have a set amount of time, which sometimes yep. is difficult, right? Because how long, how long does the game of Dune take, Paul? <laughs> uh, it, it's varied. You know, it, uh, I think the shortest we've played was 45 minutes, and that was with a minor teach. Yep, and I don't think we've ever finished otherwise. <laughs> no, we finished a few. We finished a few times. We finished a few times. But yes, it, it, sometimes yeah, seven hours later, it's it, it would still be going. Yes. Well, I think what you're talking about, Tom, that's is kind of a, an uh, I think is is an adjacent concept that I would call rushing. Yeah. Like there are games also, and like Paul uh, of our all players is probably most likely to play a game where he can get out to an early point lead. And then essentially, like he has to protect. And there are some games where you can bring about the conclusion of the game sooner rather than later. And that might just be to, to like protect your victory because if this game goes on much longer, he's going to get caught. Right. It's like I think we've played some games of Russian railroads where it feels like ah, this game just went on one turn too long, or 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 Paul would have had it. Yes. Like the way I the way I describe it is like in my gameplay, one of the things that I use a lot is I attack tempo. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm attacking like I, if I can bring the end of the game. Uh, and our our meta has it that like a lot of people try to build these beautiful engines, and I'm a person who goes like I just need to put this like busted motor onto the skateboard, and I'm going to go first, and we'll see <laughs> who gets there. Yeah, so, you're, like, you're yeah. the tortoise, and you're trying to you're the hare rather, and you're trying to beat all the tortoises. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, and, and, and I think some of the best games are the ones where they've timed it, where the answer is ambiguous. Like, you know, Russian Railroad does that pretty well, where uh, if I rush it with, say, the industry t- uh, strategy or whatever, and someone's building the big track strategy, like, I don't know who's going to necessarily win until the final round. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so that, that question mark, like another game that did this very well with Pillars of the Earth. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I, 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 when I played that game, I would rush and I would go like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Goes, oh, no, that one guy came out and now everyone has this power except for me. And now they're going to ramp up. Like, you know, it's the ramp versus the aggro strategy, right? Yeah. So one final point. Um, when talking about racing, I think it also might be like, I don't, I'm not sure everybody really enjoys racing. Uh, and I'm thinking in our group, I'm thinking specifically of Dimitri. I think that like this concept of racing is something that he struggles with and he just may not find it emotionally pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Um, when we play a worker placement game with Dimitri, um, I think we will often see him make a move that will like immediately score the most points for him, but is a maybe a bad move considering the whole game. You know, like how many times yeah. are you like, oh, Dimitri, you don't have to take that yet. Nobody, you're not competing with anybody on that. Like you can take that as your fourth action. You don't need to take that as as your first. 
Um, and that has to do like with situational to, awareness, right? That has to do yeah. with not just looking but at your also, own board, but, but looking at everybody else. I think it is emotionally else. unpleasant for him. Yeah. You know, like, and so, like, he's most likely to take start player because he doesn't want to lose a race. Right. For the thing that is Im- important to him. Um, and like he's, he will, you know, a lot of times he will, you know, bid high in age of steam and then we'll also take, you know, first build because it's so important for him to win that, that race. So I, I just kind of wanted to throw that as a final thing is like, there are some negatives to racing, which is like, it may not be all fun because the, there are the downsides of the things. And this just may not translate as to, you know, to fun for some people's emotional experience of games. Yeah, and not everything, and you know, there are plenty of games that don't really have a lot of racing in that they're, you know, we're still competing. Not all competing is 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 racing. Right. Racing is really mm-hmm. is really trying to get to get some great reward first, and and grabbing those things. Um, like, and, and they're for me, yeah. if, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, just just for, for one structural thing about racing, uh, in, in learning games, like. I think for me, the way I approach races is like when I start a game, I'm trying, I guess I feel like races, like you collect a bunch of races and if you win these races, you win the game, you know, enough races, you win a game. And so for me, what I really find interesting is discovering what races are in a game. You know, what are, what are the races that, cause like they're not necessarily apparent, you know, it, right. you know, uh, you have to play a game to go like, Oh, I actually need to jockey for this. I actually need to jockey for that. And that's why it took me so long to grok uh, Age of Steam. Because the, the races are all like layered on top of each other. <laughs> and having to parse that out, like, you know, uh, took years. Like years to go like, oh, this is what I'm really doing. This is what I'm really valuing. Because they, they all shift per round, per per track lay. Like, you know, they adjust those races change uh position as far as like uh their importance and i and understanding where you know where the races are that are going to lead you to victory uh you know is something that i think i find fun in trying to grok a game totally totally and uh if i can have the final word on this one trey you began this comment by mentioning a game that we have not mentioned on board game uh, on our board game Somalia or on Game Brain at all, Pitch Car. I love Pitch Car. <laughs> I want to tell everybody I absolutely love Pitch Car. I've literally been thinking about Pitch Car in the last month, and I've decided that the first time we can actually have a game night where people come back together on the table, I will have set up my entire Pitch Car track, and the first game of the night is going to be Pitch Car. So, Trey, if you want to arrive an hour late, you're welcome to. <laughs> but it is a it is this amazing. If you don't guys don't know what Pitch Car is, look it up. It's this amazing little little flicking dexterity game that you can make crazy tracks with. I absolutely adore it. It brings out the inner child in me, and uh, and I just have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> And scene. Guys, should we do one game sommelier? Yep. Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far as my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. 
This has to be one of my favorite sommelier emails we have ever received. Uh, it, it, it's, the name says Board Game Malaise, and it's Dear BGS, I hang around with tragically jaded board gamers. They felled all the, fiel- the felds, collected all of the Italian collective, have 1,800 plays of 18xx, they certainly do know Lacerda, and they are aces at Wallace. The bloom is off the Rosenberg. <laughs> what is a game that I can pull out to make them pull down their demitasses and take notice? Make them work up a passion for worker placement, reinvigorate the rondel, trick them into liking trick-taking. Aidez-moi, sommelier. Mit e gation. Mit, this is fantastic. One of my favorite emails ever. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. You you won Board Game Sommelier. That is phenomenal. This is how it's done. This is how it's done. Right? Right? Brilliant. Amazing. Wordplay. Love it. Uh, what, do you guys th- what do you guys think? So he, he, he's played the Fields. They've played the, the Italians, Lacerda, Wallace, Rosenberg. Mentioned all of those. No what? mention of Splatter. Yes. That's, that, was, that was one of my thoughts, too. Uh, we in when we were talking about Indonesia today, we talked about yep. how many amazing, amazing splatter games there are. Um, right now, Indonesia is unbelievable. Food chain magnate is absolutely unbelievable, uh, and the, the the two that get less mentioned, but I I, I want to say are right up there. The Great Zimbabwe and Antiquity are. Absolutely incredible games. Th- those four. Uh, if you guys are aces at Wallace, and you know, and you play, you know, you felled all the f- the felds. This is probably your your next step. This is probably something you should definitely check out. Paul, what do you think? Well, I, I, I you know, I read this and I, I was very intrigued by uh, the premise because, you know, like for those who don't know, I'm a bit of a foodie, and. What I find that I enjoyed most, or what really like got me into uh, eating, uh, was a dish in Australia that I had once, and it was basically uh, rare uh, venison with raspberry ice cream. And you know, like it's not uncommon to have like venison with like like a, a sweet or some sort, but to put it with ice cream was such a strange combination, and it perfectly worked. And I think what happens is like when, you know, in in food case, like if you have a a large experience, what you're really looking for is a, not a new experience, but something to reintroduce the thing that you know, like, you know, this is where like molecular gastronomy came in and like, like Heston Blumenthal made like this, uh, you know, uh, bacon and eggs, ice cream. And it, became really popular as far as like, you know, for those seeking that experience. And when I read the sommelier, I kind of felt the same way. Uh, and so I have three games in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one uh, was something I played this year for the first time. And, it, and maybe a lot of people have already played it, but Anachrony. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason why Anachrony uh, was so eye-opening for me was because it was the first time that I go like, oh my God, the theme has changed this game in a way that like if it were any other theme, it would be something like, oh, I've done this before. But the theme had changed it so dramatically that 
that it changed the whole experience for me. It, it made me fall in love with these mechanics again. And basically, it's the idea is uh, you go back in time, you uh, get resources to build stuff in your civilization, but the problem is you have to pay back uh, the stuff you took away, otherwise it'll cause a paradox. So it's just, you know, it's, it's basically you're investing, you, you pull out some money, you, uh, uh, and you have to pay it back or there is a penalty. I mean, that, that's the mechanic. But because of the theme, it plays so differently and so fun in a way that uh, I, I, was, I was just shocked. Uh, another game that uh, I would talk about is Smartphone Inc., Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. smartphone ink because of the tactile nature of how we start up, start off our phone uh, uh, companies each round. That kind of geometric puzzle is very uh, refreshing. And like as the word that Ben used, that I really think uh, captured it. It's fun, uh, and I think that's you know, like if you're jaded, you're just you're just looking for fun again. And the last one is a splatter game uh, that I personally really like, and that's Greed Inc. Greed Inc. Right? Greed you know? Incorporated, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and ultimately, it's because you're playing this game, and then you have, you know, I'm, I'm building my corporation, and then now I get to play the bad, you know, the bad CEO and sink my corporation, get my money, buy my stuff for me, because I'm, I'm greedy. And I think that that is kind of new in a way that uh, uh, that people will be familiar with, but it's hit in a different angle. Mm-hmm. So, so those are three, like you know, uh, Anachrony. Uh, Got it. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the splatter yeah, games yeah. especially are going to work for people that have played a lot of games because they're elusive. Yes. Like mastery mm-hmm. is very hard. I'm often humbled by them so um like splatter games may not be the most popular games for almost like that very reason Mm -hmm. right like you have to have a lot of games behind you before you might appreciate the frustrations (laughs) of (laughs) of those games so like this group was probably right for that i mean indonesia was the thing i put down uh, specifically they may have already played splatters i don't know um the the final game that like is just my own personal um darling that like not a lot of people played archipelago mm-hmm. that might be a good one mm-hmm. um because it's got a lot of different things that are gonna that are not gonna appeal to new gamers at all but um if you played a lot of games you you're gonna find some richness in the stuff that's going on in archipelago that's great i totally agree with that um yeah the thing about the thing you said about splatter is dead on it like it hits people in a different way it's like everybody is driving down the same road and then splatter comes out of nowhere and just t-bones you right they're, they're they're like pulling out of that alley and you don't really see them coming the game doesn't play the game their games tend to not play in the way you expect them to play and they evolve in a weirdly organic uh, a way that is a, a little bit different than than everything else um so the, the other things i'll add because listen this is a this is a world-class board game sommelier so we, we want to give you we want to give you the full deal uh Trikarian is a kind of a one-off by designers that we didn't we didn't really know before that. So maybe that's something that has escaped your radar. Given the, the list of games you have, you might very well like that. And then um, you mentioned uh, trick-taking. So I'll just say that if you guys have not tried Teach You, 
You should. Everybody should try teach you. Everybody should. Teach should you. They've played teach you. I don't know. Come have on. they? Yeah. Have they? Who knows? Maybe they have. Sure. Maybe they haven't. Uh, and then the last thing is that I looked at our board game top fifty, our uh, game brain top fifty, and what were the two games that are the lowest ranked games that we have in our top fifty? Uh, we mentioned one of them already, Fresh Fish. So that Fresh is Fish. very likely a game that you guys have not played that you might be shocked at how great it is. Uh, and then the other one is Santiago. Santiago is is not very highly ranked on BGG, but is a crazy good game that you guys might absolutely love. Guys, that was a really good board game, Somalia. You guys crushed it with those answers. Good, good Thanks, stuff. Buddy. Well, it was well written. Yeah, it really <laughs> was. Yeah, heat us up. Yeah, we had to step, we had to step up. You, yeah. If you bring it, we'll bring it. That's the way it works, guys. Thank you so much. This was a, you know. It's always it's always a joy talking to you to your your uh, your, your to my best friends and uh, I'm, I'm I really am missing you guys a lot. I think I mentioned that uh, when we were playing virtually last week. I just I, I'm really missing hanging out with you guys in person. There's Ditto. a reason why we game in person and we're missing it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, we have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash c forward slash gamebrainpod. We have a Facebook group, a Discord channel. And uh, please get in more of those Game Somalia questions. You don't have to be as good as the one we just got, but yeah, give it a try. We, we would love to hear that. And you have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. That's where to get your Somalia questions in. Or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online, or virtually make some friends with games.